morning, everybody. Crappy Mondays. Only 11 and a half weeks until Christmas, uh, as I'm having to count every day now for a small child. And welcome to the News Agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by The Mirror's political correspondent, Dave Burke. Morning, Dave. Morning, you're right. Just about getting there. Uh, now, this is the People's Pay-Per-View, so get into the comments, ask us your questions. We'll do our best to answer them for you. The best and most apposite comments, remember, get a News Agenda mug. There's one left in my current batch to send out, so it could be you. Um, those of you listening later on podcast will just have to ask yourself what the hell they're all playing at now. So what have we got for you today? Well, the mirror has splashed on the story of a British transplant surgeon trapped in Gaza who's finally made it home, but has some horrific tales to tell. Now, Dave, before we move on to the rest of the stories in the paper, the main impact of this conflict on the UK appears to be an absolutely shocking rise in online hate and hate crime and just general stupidity. Uh, I mean, I've, I've had people saying, calling for a humanitarian pause is outrageous. There should be a ceasefire for 24 hours to let humanitarian aid go in. Same thing, mate. Uh, and there also seem to be problems for Keir Starmer in terms of resignations and party infighting. There's some council leaders that seem to have gone overnight. So do you get any sense that Starmer is going to change his view on a ceasefire? Or is this a case of, you know, he's he's got to stick with it. He started down this path and he's going to look an awful lot worse if he changed his mind. No, I mean, I think at the moment it's, you know, he's, uh, he's been rocked by all these resignations. I think we've got sort of best part of 50 councillors, including overnight the leader of Burnley Council now standing down. I mean, this is a real big problem for the grassroots of the party. But in terms of Keir Starmer's leadership, I mean, he's kind of boxed himself into a position at the moment where if he if he were to sort of change tack now, it would, uh, you know, it would undermine everything he's done. I mean, it would get easier with the sort of ongoing situation in Gaza. He might reach a point where he says, OK, the, you know, now maybe is the time for a uh, you know for a ceasefire to come, but I think we're a long way from that uh, from that being the case. Uh, so yeah, I mean I, I wouldn't expect any change of position. I think he's going to stand firm on this one certainly for the uh, over the coming days, in spite of the wave of upset within his party. Yeah, I think he's imagining perhaps that after um, you know when, when after a period of time after a general election that there'll be more Labour you know a Labour candidate stands against what is then perhaps an independent candidate and may do quite well at an election and next council elections when they come up. If you lean any further to your left, by the way, Dave, you'll be working for the socialist worker. Now, right, moving on then, and it won't have escaped your attention that the Sunaks are the wealthiest people ever to occupy number 10 Downing Street. Now, if they lived there, they would also, of course, be the wealthiest people ever to occupy Buckingham Palace or Windsor Castle. Um, as well. Now, Dave, it says here in the paper that we've given Mrs. Sunak a million pounds. What? What? Explain this to me, please. What's happened? Yes. Yeah, so, so essentially, she runs an investment firm called uh, Catamaran Ventures uh, that's ploughed money into various companies, some of which have since failed. Uh, so we've listed some examples here of uh, companies that have gone bust while owing in some cases, hundreds of thousands of pounds to the uh, to HMRC. Uh, so one example of it is a, uh, a fitness club called Lava, which went underway, uh, owing three hundred seventy-four thousand uh, to the tax man. And cases and sort of three companies alone, uh, the sum that was uh, in in lost taxes, lost revenue for the treasury, uh, has come to over a million pounds. 
A million pounds. So she's... Yeah. It does always make me wonder how very wealthy people get that way if they just keep investing in things that seem to seem to fail. But um, she's got enough money, of course, to spend and, and not really miss it, perhaps. But what do you mm. think, everybody? Do you think... <clears throat> Excuse me. Is this something that uh, you know you're worried about? Do you think a tax a tax loss for the firms that she's invested in this should be her problem? She should be footing the bill, or do you think it's only right that, as with every other company, um, you know that the tax loss does have to get written off by the tax man eventually at some point? Let us know. Now, people that, that are this wealthy, of course, have lots of investments. Mike says, "Was this what Sunak meant on Friday when he said people shouldn't be scared to fail?" That if you're part of the Sunak family, government will bail you out. It doesn't look particularly good, Mike. I'll agree. After Sunak, he made those comments at the AI summit to Elon Musk, saying people should be prepared to fail, to be entrepreneurs, to give up the security of a pay packet, and and go out and risk everything. One million pound isn't everything for Mr. Sunak. It's not even a percentage of everything. Now, Dave. Um, People this wealthy have lots of investments that they don't know anything about and they can't know everything about all of it. Um, but these ones do look slightly more personal in a way. So there's Dig Me Fitness, which is a high-end gym company, uh, Lava Mayfair, another high-end gym, and Mrs. Wordsmith, which is a children's literacy startup. They do look like the mm. kind of things a prime minister's wife might well invest in if they wanted to. And, of course, if they've gone bust, this is a tax write-off for her um, she doesn't personally benefit from the tax underwriting that the government's done um although she isn't having to foot the tax bill the chances are though if i've got this right that we are underwriting the tax losses of the company she invested in while she's offsetting those same losses against the income tax which she's, she's only just started paying have i got that right that's my understanding too yeah i mean it's loses uh, again when she offsets that against her yeah i mean i think you know like mike pointed out this is incredibly awkward for the cnax for this to come out so soon after he made those comments last week uh and this is a real big problem i mean people will already sort of see the prime minister be as being out of touch and to have the means to lead, to sort of to invest in companies that can that will kind of go under like this and owe so much to the tax man. It's, uh, you know, it's it's a real big problem for Rishi Sunak in terms of making himself appear like he sort of understands the day-to-day -day concerns that people are facing at the moment. Exactly. He does tend to think if you owe, and in some of those cases, I think it's Digby Fitness owes about 400 grand to the tax man. But that's because mm. there's been a significant amount of turnover um, and things that have, you know, rolled over and stuff like that. There must have been some money coming in at some point to generate the tax bill. And so um, I just, I don't really buy the fact that, I mean, I couldn't run up a 400 grand tax bill and then, you know, get it written off by the tax man. I would, I would struggle, I think, to persuade Mr. <laughs> tax man that the 400 grand didn't need to be his. But yet it seems if you're running a certain kind of business is, you can. Um, that's the sort of thing which is going to be quite a bad look. But do you think this is, you know, this is going to cause problems for Sunak? Because, I mean, her, his, her tax affairs has been a bit of a running sore for him. Or is this just yeah. is that all forgotten? This is just going to be a little niggle and no one's going to care about it. I mean, I think it's it's the latest in a long running uh, string of problems that he's had in relation to his wife's affairs. I mean, he's made the point uh, that he's, uh, you know, that his wife is per perfectly entitled as a citizen to have her own business affairs and to uh you know to be able to uh 
to sort of make our own investments. But it does reflect on the prime minister. I mean, certainly he had a big issue last year when it emerged that she was a non-dom, so she wasn't paying taxes in the UK on her earnings. Uh, this is something that Labour's obviously sort of gone on the attack on. Uh, we had the standards investigation after he didn't declare the investments that her uh, that his wife had made in a company called Coru Kids, uh, which was a childcare company that benefited from measures brought in in the uh, in the budget. So yeah, I mean, it's this alone is sort of one the latest segment in a long string of cases that, as time goes on, is getting more and more damaging. I'd say for the prime minister. Yeah, and perhaps more and more of a reason to go and be in California uh, sooner rather than later. Whenever you want to call the general election, Mr Sunak, it's absolutely fine by most of the people in the country. Now, what do you think, everybody? Do you think um, Sunak is just going to be off or do you think he's going to address these financial issues? Um, do you think he cares about um, his wife's constant reporting about his wife's tax affairs? He cared very much when it came out before. So he's either got used to it or, he, um, or he's going to still be caring about it. Now, Andy Wheatley on a Twitter just said uh, the Tory party, once the party of business, now the party of sex offenders. Burn. Now, something else you might have spotted, and what Andy's referring to here, is that Nadine Dorries, the former culture secretary, has a book out about how the entirety of the British establishment set itself against, let me just check this for a moment, yes, an old Etonian millionaire uh, to bring down Boris Johnson and his government, and in the meantime, deprive her of a peerage, which, of course, she really deserved. Now, some of what she's written, Dave, in her book, which has been serialised by another newspaper, um, has the ring of paranoid fantasy about it. But one revelation that is getting some traction and why Andy's referring to sex offenders is an assertion that she's made that the Tory party knew about alleged rapists in its parliamentary ranks and didn't report them to the police. What's going on exactly? What has she said? And is there any grounds for thinking there's something in it? Dave? I mean, right? oh. Yeah, sorry. Uh <laughs> Sorry, you cut out that. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a uh, this is an incredibly difficult one. I mean, essentially, what's happened here is Jake Berry, uh, who was for a brief period the Tory Party chairman under uh, Liz Truss, has, uh, has written a letter to police saying that the uh, that there is an MP who hasn't been named, uh, who may have up to five victims. He said that the he's alleged that the Tory Party has served the victims poorly. Uh, and it's been alleged that it's uh, that the party itself has been paying for support that she's been receiving uh, as a result of what she has allegedly gone through. Uh, so yeah, I mean this is a this is an incredibly difficult one. I mean I stress that the people concerned in this haven't been named and are not uh, are not going to be named, and obviously would urge against speculation on who the individuals are. Uh, but yes, we've. Um, so yeah, this is uh, this is something like you say that Nadine Dorries has alleged in her book, uh, in a forthcoming book, uh, which contains all number of allegations about the way the Tory parties run. Uh, and like you say, another newspaper has uncovered the letter that was sent by Sir Jake, uh, in which he's very concerned about the way the party is claimed to have acted. Um, yesterday, Oliver Dowden, the current Tory party chairman, has said, uh, sorry, the former uh, party chairman, uh, currently the deputy prime minister, has said that this isn't something that he was aware of that has happened under his watch, and he's denied that the Tory parties that the Tory party acted improperly in this instance. Right. So we've got a situation then where 
Nadine has said something in her book, which is full of crazy stuff that lots of people don't quite buy. Um, but this particular one seems to be backed up by a letter that was written by a Tory chairman confirming that there is one MP who's been accused of perhaps five sexual assaults and that at least one of those victims has been having um, treatment of some sort, which has been funded by the Conservative Party, which implies that, um, firstly, they felt a duty of care towards her, perhaps uh, for whatever reason, and also that they may have believed her and that there was some evidence to think that uh, she was injured in some way afterwards, mentally or physically. So that something has happened and that yet nobody went to the police about it. Now, I imagine what's going to be happening now because we've already had Jake Berry's letter, right? And Oliver Dowden was the chairman before him and he says he doesn't know anything about it and certainly didn't cover anything up. So now we're in a situation, I suppose, where journalists are going to be going to all the other chairmen of the party and the other whips and going, well, did you know about this? And did you know about this? And did you know about this? And seeking confirmations or denials and trying to piece together in what era this is supposed to have happened and, and which prime minister, I think we can all guess probably, it happened under. Um, so she's one chairman's told the police there's evidence of a possible cover-up. Previous chairman says no. We're going through all the, the recent chairmen seeking some evidence about things. Um, it's all a, whether there's something in it or not, and it, it seems to be that Jake Berry thought there was, we wouldn't have written the letter to the police in the first place. There does seem to be a whiff of truth about an awful lot of it. If nothing, even if the, the rape isn't true, the fact that the Tory party believed there was something seriously amiss does seem to be true. Um, what's the, I suppose the question is, you know, is Nadine right to say that um, the Conservative Party has a serious sex offender problem? Or is that clutching at um, insults? I mean, I think we're a long way short. I mean, certainly there's allegations, uh, there's multiple allegations going around. Uh, there was another Conservative MP that was arrested uh, on suspicion of rape, which he denies last week. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, I think we, we need a lot more detail on this to, uh, you know, to be able to say anything definitively. I mean, you would hope that, uh, you know, any allegations are being followed up and are, uh, you know, are now being looked at. Yeah. Uh, but what the police response was to the letter from Sir Jake, we don't know. Well, exactly. We don't know if they did investigate anything. I mean, why, when and why did they get this letter and what did they do about it when they did get it? Something, presumably, one would have thought should have happened. Um, I mean, we've got here, I just had a quick look while you were speaking there, Dave, about list of um, list of sexual assault allegations about MPs. I thought and Someone's listed these somewhere. And here we go, the Guardian, right? So this is, um, we have the Conservative MP for Wakefield, Imran Khan, found guilty uh, last year of sexually assaulting a 15-year-old boy. Neil Parrish, the Tory MP for Tiverton Holliton, the tractor man, as people might know him. David Warburton, um, who had the whip removed for Somerton Frame, then later had a by-election, of course, was accused by various women of... Um, uh, having taking cocaine and, and groping and other things. The Tory MP for Dellen, Rob Roberts, um, was accused of an independent investigation, found he had sexually harassed a junior member of staff. Andrew Griffiths, uh, a High Court judge, found that he had raped his wife while she was asleep and subjected her to coercive control. He's a Tory MP. 
Charlie Elphick, the Tory MP for Dover, convicted in jail for sexually assaulting two women. Um, we've got a Labour MP in Hartlepool in July 2021, Mike Hill, a repeatedly sexually assaulted and harassed a parliamentary staff member. Uh, John Woodcock, another Labour MP, uh, suspended amid an investigation into claims he said inappropriate texts. Michael Fallon, a long time ago, this is now, well, this is going back, Defence Secretary in 2017, admitted his behaviour towards women had fallen short. I mean, I could go on. Um, and this this article that I'm reading out is more than a year old, right? There's been another list since then. Chris Pincher, goodness knows what else that's been happening. Is this problem, I mean, you, we work in Parliament, is this an issue with Conservative MPs or is this an issue with people who are MPs and they're in power and they, they're not subject to managerial control and human resources issues in quite the same way as the rest of us? Yeah, I mean, I think the list you've just said, I mean, it spells out in pretty stark detail. There's, uh, you know, there's a cultural problem within the within Parliament itself. Uh, you know, I don't think I would limit it simply to MPs. I think there'll be, uh, you know, sort of there'll, there'll be issues around the culture more broadly in terms of staffers as well. But yeah, we're, uh, you know, we're, it's, there's obviously a massive problem. And, uh, you know, there's, there, you know, this needs to be looked at and dealt with. And, there are some really very strong telling examples of uh, you know cases where this has occurred yeah there needs to be obviously some kind of clean broom going in there and sorting out not just in in one party or another but in parliament generally and making it impossible for some of these things to go unreported or to happen in the first place um Mm. now uh, one of the issues in that particular story is, for example, the, a victim of a different Tory sex scandal, <laughs> and it's difficult to get them all mixed up, there's quite a few, but the victim of a different scandal has been asked about the, the rape allegation scandal we've just had from Nadine and this letter to the police, and she has confirmed the ID of the Tory in the rape allegations uh, and says that he's the one she went to for help after her assault. Now, and the day, I suppose the question it has to be a bit like, um, you know, Nadine does seem to have accidentally hit on something here. Where does mm. this where does this go next, do you think? What is the Conservative Party going to have to do, about, if, if anything? I mean, do they care? Is there actually enough will within um, the Conservative Party to actually sort this out if she's, if she's made these allegations? Yeah, I mean, I think the sort of being in the eye of publicity now, it's going to be a lot more difficult to ignore this. I mean, I think there's the expectation now that this will be, uh, you know, that this will be followed up. And if there have been failings in the past, you know, they're sort of duty bound to look at it. Certainly to have reached the point where a former chairman would write to police about it, you know, you would expect that to be a very sobering moment for the party. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, the wider culture, I mean, I think it obviously shows that there's been, there's been severe issues. People that have come forwards maybe haven't had the expectation that it will be dealt with properly. Mm. And I think that culturally has got to be something, uh, you know, sort of for whichever party, you know, for all the parties across the board, it needs to be something that can't be allowed to happen going forward. Yeah, they need to have like a, you know, a, a box at least where you can put an issue in anonymously and say this person has a, you know, that there's somehow that things get investigated, that things get controlled. Leslie says, how many other scandals are going to come to light? We've got a year before the election, Leslie. We've got all the time in the world for more scandals. Isn't this a good reason for each MP to be police checked? Oh, good Lord. 
Um, if what what about that? I mean, giving um, police record checks. Some of these people just didn't have a record until they became an MP. And if it's mm. a cultural issue, I suppose there that you know it's it's something that may be enabled after you become an MP or a staffer, or you go into Parliament and start working the late hours in the bars and all the rest of it. Um, it's something that perhaps wouldn't show up in a police records check, isn't it? It's something that would happen later. Yeah. After you go into Whitehall. So I think a records check, Leslie, is not not something that's necessarily going to pick it up. Personality check, maybe. Some kind of basic multiple choice morality quiz before they get to be an MP. Is this the right thing to do? Is this the wrong thing to do? Rape, not rape. Um, Julie says, Leslie, I totally agree. The sad thing is these MPs think they're above the law, but when thinking about it, they haven't had very good teachers in the past. No. Some of them are some of the finest teachers in the land, and they obviously weren't up to doing what um, most teachers would teach you to do. And they just, they don't seem to have figured out how you do not behave. Oh, that you're likely to get caught out. You know, Westminster's full of journalists. Keep it in your pants, lads. Now, other bizarre allegations in Nadine's stories uh, include allegations that one MP had sex with a prostitute on a billiard table while watched by four others. Uh, and there's a shadowy fixer in number 10 who brings down prime ministers who doesn't have a job title and isn't elected. Firstly, I mean, I'm thinking of some Tory MPs uh, and the thought of any one of them having sex with a prostitute on a billiard table while another four watch on is just really very ick. I can't I can't think of any of them that that would be like a good scenario. Um, and secondly, some of this other stuff is this. Does the, the fact there is a letter supporting the rape allegations, does that support some of the rest of Dean's book that she has done the work to make it you know, accurate? Or does the fact that some of this stuff seem a little bit bizarre and odd undermine the stuff that maybe there is some substantiation for? I mean, I think Nadine Dorries' book is going to be something that may be approached with caution somewhat. I mean, her record <laughs> was, uh, was, uh, was difficult, um, I say very diplomatically. Uh, I mean... I, I think, I mean, this This is all, the whole book that she's writing is based on the theory that there was a plot, uh, you know, with several high-powered people across Number 10 and presumably across various other organisations around Whitehall that were plotting to get rid of Boris Johnson. I mean, you know, the one person responsible for Boris Johnson's downfall was Boris Johnson. Mm. The whole premise of the book is, uh, you know, I think it's going to be finding things in the shadows that are people will be sceptical about uh you know sort of the the idea of the kind of shadowy figures in number 10 i mean i, I think we need to see more detail about what uh you know sort of what she's what she's implying and maybe who some of the individuals are how far she goes in actually identifying some of these people i know this would have been through a rigorous process of being yeah, i suspect it's been heavily lawyered and that's why there's probably less stuff in there than you might want um, and whether or not that stuff that got lawyered out would would have helped at all <laughs> or made things more difficult, who knows? Um, but it does, you know, this is the kind of, some of this has the tone, the same kind of stuff that we, the same sort of pitch of sort of paranoid fantasy that we saw with the Carl Beach allegations about, you know, Westminster child sex rings and things. They're just like, mm, there's, there's sort of half based on something, but then there's just, it doesn't seem to mostly be there. Now Mike says, I'd put Dory's output in the same camp as Dominic Cummings, a small element of truth, or at least believability, in case there's an awful lot of total nonsense. 
yeah, I think there's a nugget sometimes in some of it, but then there's so much madness packed around that nugget that it's very difficult to unpick it and uh, you may not even find the nugget after a while. Finally then, Dave, before we move on to some, some good news, Nadine has clearly kissed her peerage goodbye. She's obviously come to yeah. terms with that and been through the grief process. Um, but where next for her? What is she going to do? I mean, she's not employable as a, as a politician. She's probably employable as an after-dinner speaker, but only up to a point. Uh, and, I mean, obviously she's a she's a fiction writer she could carry on doing that i suspect and make plenty of money that way what does she what does she want to do where does she want to go from here where is she going to go from here i mean she's ventured out into tv uh presenting she's got a show on talk tv um she's i mean i i think she's you know she she she's got the recognition factor now i suppose sort of from the combination of her book from any future writing she does from tv presenting i mean i guess she knows she's burned her bridges there's no future in politics for her uh the peerage is like you say obviously never going to happen but uh yeah i mean i i think you know she's uh you know she's retreated back to lick her wounds but she's not going to go quietly and i think we're going to see a lot more of nadine dory's Oh dear. It is. <laughs> not what I wanted to hear. What a, what a terrible shame. Thought she was, there's me hoping she was going to go quiet or at least just go to the airport mm -hmm. book stands where we could all happily ignore her. Um, Strictly come dancing then maybe next year. Who knows? I think she's already done the jungle, isn't she? She won't be back in there again. Um, right. Well, thank you for taking us through that day. It was all a bit depressing. But here we are. We've managed to find some good news in the world. And here it is. Now, there's a little boy called Luke Mortimer, and he had to have both his hands and feet amputated at the age of seven after he contracted meningococcal meningitis and then septicemia. And after his family moved to an adapted bungalow, he spotted a distant crag and decided he wanted to climb it, as you do. And he aimed to raise 500 quid for charity, uh, the charity called Limb Power and also BBC Children in Need. Now he's 10, he finally did it this weekend, 40 other people did it with him, inspired by his determination, and they have raised a whopping £13,000, 26 times more than he aimed for, by climbing that very same 656-foot-high crag that he could see from his home in just outside Skipton. Now, bearing in mind, he's just climbed a 656-foot-high mountain, whatever you want to call it, hill, but with no feet and no hands. Dave, is this proof that, you know, with a little bit of ambition, a little bit of imagination, that's all any of us need to achieve better, unless you're the Dindoris, of course. Too much. Yeah, well, this is it's a bad thing. <laughs> well, this is absolutely brilliant. I mean, you know, well done to Luke. It's, uh, you know, it's a huge amount of money he's raised. And, you know, a, a huge, he's set himself a goal. He's, uh, you know, he's gone and achieved it. And it's, you know, it's just absolutely fantastic. It's like you say, that positive mindset is you know the the huge thing that obviously he's got in abundance and he's managed to achieve an awful lot of good by doing so yeah i think if anybody sort of deserves a peerage it's someone who has done things like that mm. um rather than someone who thinks they just are owed it for some reason necessarily but i think the fact that luke just looked out his window and thought i'm going to go and climb that when he was recovering from you know having four limbs partially amputated i think is pretty amazing and astonishing stuff yeah, yeah. well done luke well done for everyone who donated um he's got a just giving page if you want to look up luke mortimer 
uh, and you can buy him another fiver because I think he absolutely deserves it. Uh, and uh, anything rather than perhaps go and buy Nadine's book. If you were going to go and buy Nadine's book, right, spend the money instead on Luke, where it's going to do some good. Because if anyone buys Nadine's book, it's only going to encourage her. We don't want that. So he's on 5,000 at the moment, but there's there's 15,000 actually raised in other places altogether. So uh, he's done ever so well, but he needs a little bit more. So go and find, oh, that's um, some money also to help him buy some arms for him as well. So there's I think there's more than one fundraising page, I suspect. But he absolutely deserves any support that you can give him. Right, thank you very much, Dave, for taking us through all this. Uh, we've So we've had Mrs. Sunak getting her taxes underwritten at the same time, writing them off against her own tax, which she only just about barely pays anyway. You've got Nadine and her mad ravings, which the truth of which we might never actually get to. And Luke, who's done something brilliant just because he fancied it, which just goes to show, um, again, that there's there's always one person in the world who impresses you when the others don't. Thank you very much for taking the story this day. Thank you, everyone, for taking part. We will see you all again next uh, this Wednesday for another edition of the News Agenda. Till then, everybody, keep safe and tatty bye.